welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Farrell, and I am joined here today by former president, Emma Catlett, and our soon-to-be vice president, Anna Jennings. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Just, you know, excited to be back from break and ready to get studying for finals. And we also are joined by a very special guest today from the Harris County District Attorney's Office down in Houston, uh, Mr. Nathan Beadle. Thank you for joining us today, sir. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm great. Great. Well, we're happy to have you here and uh, visiting in the law school, so this is great. Um, we like to kind of start these things off with your story and what led you to prosecution. So I'll let you kind of take it away from there. Yeah, I don't have a traditional story, I don't think. I, I grew up in Southern California, which I think is unusual for most Texas prosecutors just to begin with. Um, I went to the University of Washington, who just beat the University of Texas in, uh, to make the national championship game, so I'm very excited about that. Um, and I majored in something that is very untraditional for a law student. I was a wildlife biologist, and I had a minor in forest management with the intention of becoming a PhD um, wildlife biologist. Um, kind of got sidetracked and was offered a scholarship to go to Syracuse Law School, which I did. Then I was able to get my master's at the same time in environmental science, which was the draw for me to go there. But I could finish my master's in the same amount of period of getting my three-year law degree. Um, which I did both. Um, I took a trip to Texas my 1L summer, and I know you all are on the quarter system, I was on a semester system, so I had a traditional summer 1L um, internship where I worked for the then governor of the state of Texas, George W. Bush, before he was president. Um, I was in the general counsel's office in, in that position, and it was a legislative session summer, which means there was close to 2,700 or 2,800 bills that needed to be reviewed by the governor and the general counsel's office and the interns specifically. Some of those um, bills had to do with criminal law, most of them didn't. Most of them had to deal with a bunch of boring subject matters like ad valorem taxes and other things that I wasn't interested in at all. Um, but there was an assistant general counsel there in Austin. His name was Frank Bryan, and he was a former prosecutor at the Travis County District Attorney's Office for many, many years. And he and I struck up just what I would call a friendship. I was a young law student that didn't really know exactly what I was going to be doing. And Frank and I just seemed to hit it off, and we would walk down 6th Street in Austin, and he would talk about stabbings and murders that happened. Um, in and around 6th Street, and I found that much more interesting than any civil type of legislative um, things that we were doing at the governor's office. Um, and he suggested that I apply for an internship at the Travis County District Attorney's Office. Um, at that moment, I had a buddy who was actually at South Texas College of Law that had, was interning at the Harris County DA's office, and the distinction at the time was two things. Travis County is a bifurcated prosecutorial system. The county attorney's office prosecutes misdemeanors. The district attorney's office does felonies. I didn't think there was going to be continuity for me to maybe get a job offer if I went to the district attorney's office because you'd have to start at the bottom. And then Harris County actually paid at that time to go work in the summer. So 
Um, I applied for the position with the Harris County DA's office for the 2L summer, my following summer, and I was one of four or five, I think, that was selected out of like 500 people to go work there and uh, loved it. I mean, I couldn't get enough of it. Um, I think Emma probably knows how I feel having worked in the office as an internship. It either strikes you as something that you absolutely can't get enough of or you probably hate it. It's probably one of the two situations. And I just couldn't get enough of it. And uh, my pathway then, there was what we call the pre-commit situation, which is today's post-bar. We've we modified the name. It's the same type of program. They were taking nine prosecutors. I think they had six or 700 applicants, and I was one of the, the nine that got the, the nod to come back. So I was very fortunate and pleased, and that was in 2001 when I graduated from law school. That's great. And what is your current role in the office? I'm the misdemeanor trial bureau chief of the district attorney's office, which means I'm responsible for nearly all misdemeanors that are filed, class A and B misdemeanors. I'm also responsible for all the class C misdemeanors, which are about 400,000 of those a year that are filed. The, <laughs> the class A and Bs, it's about 50 to 60,000, depending upon the year. Um, I'm responsible for directly 50 assistant DAs in the Misdemeanor Bureau. I actually run the environmental division as well with my environmental background. I'm responsible for that division, which has, I think, four assistant DAs now assigned to it. Um, I'm responsible for all the diversion programs, with the exception of a couple at the DA's office. One of them that I'm not in charge of is related to sellers of prostitution, people that are in the lifestyle of selling themselves. I'm not responsible for that one, but just about all the rest I am, which is another 20 plus staff that handles the diversion programs. Um, I don't have direct control over the reintegration court, which is the drug court, um, but I deal with them a lot. So we have a lot of similar cases where we'll have substance abuse and driving while intoxicated or something going on with substance abuse that I'm dealing with. So um, I'm responsible for about probably, I don't know, a fifth of the ADAs at the office, but they're usually the less experienced DAs um, who all go on to graduate to felony, et cetera. And, and that's my role there. That's great. So you mentioned an environmental uh, division. Is that like a criminal di environmental division Absolutely. or is that a civil? Kind no, of? It's, it's, it's criminal. It involves grand jury investigations of um, things you might see on the news. If you see some sort of plant explosion or some sort of spill or something of that, these things don't get filed overnight. They take investigative processes. It may be an investigation with the grand jury, with witnesses. Etc. It may be six months, nine months, a year sometimes that charges are filed. So um, they're either those type of more extensive large investigations or they're smaller cases such as dumping, illegal dumping, tires, oil, you know, air violations, you name it. Oh. I'm also responsible, I forgot, I'm pretty much the head recruiter for the office, which is why I'm here today. <laughs> um, I don't have that title officially, but no one seems to do it as much as I do. And I do want to tell all the Baylor attendees that I think the Baylor students are the best equipped to handle working in an organization like the Harris County DA's office. I haven't met other law students as a group that are as qualified or as tough 
um, what it takes to do it, what, what our office does than the Baylor Bears have. And I have no affiliation with you at all, no reason <laughs> to say that. So I know you and I have spoken in the past about the diversion programs, and if I recall correctly, you've spearheaded quite, quite a few of them. Yes. Um, could you kind of run through the ones that are offered and what the resources are for those programs and how um, prosecutors in the office can get involved with those programs? Yeah, so if you start in the office in the traditional sense at the trial bill, you'll be dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis. The largest one um, from a public safety context, which is kind of one that I've taken by the horns because I think it's probably the most important, is the DWI pretrial intervention program. So. DWI is um, it's very prevalent, obviously, in the state. Harris County has approximately 10 to 15,000 DWIs a year. It's been going down in the last um, several years. But because there is a public safety context to this, this allegation, you want to get to the bottom of whether giving somebody an opportunity to earn a dismissal is actually in the best interest of the community. In, in terms of justice and in terms of um, even the defendant's longevity. Um, I've been responsible for about 80,000 DWIs in the last seven years, and I have quite a bit of experience. I look at about 30 to 50 a day, so I'm very familiar with um, a lot of people's shortcomings as to why they may end up in the system. Um, it's not a blanket type of crime. There's typically an age variation, you know, from your barely able to drink legally or not even allowed to drink legally below 21 to people in their 80s. And the various defendants that present themselves over that age range present many different situations that are going on. Um, but typically, you will have somebody that's pretty normal get charged with a driving while intoxicated. I would not be surprised if there are, there are law students at this institution that have been charged with it. And does that mean that, you know, they should have a final conviction or um, not? And that's a big question that, that I think each DA's office um, has to make a determination if they're going to have a program to allow a pathway to a dismissal in a public safety context. And we do it more um, than anybody else than I've seen in the entire nation. Uh, I think we've expanded it in an intelligent way in the last seven years. It took me quite a bit of time to become comfortable to expand it in certain circumstances because I was traditionally trained in the early 2000s where everybody was either convicted or we went to trial or they were not guilty at trial. So I think Alcohol is by far the most damaging substance that's available in our communities. And how you deal with that, I think, can have huge impacts on the employability of people charged with this crime, their futures, their families' futures, but you have to do it in a public safety conscious way. So that's the major one. Um, there are several other programs, like the Retail Theft Intervention Program is typically centers around exactly what it sounds like. People stealing from retailers that everybody knows, Target, Walmart, HEB, you take your pick. Um, the interesting thing about that crime is that it's 
about 79% female dominated first offenders. It's the only crime in society where females dominate an actual allegation of criminal conduct. And we have a very good success rate of not seeing these people again with our program, which is about 95% successful that we don't see these people in any context moving forward. And uh, another great program that we have is the um, Veterans Court program. And veterans present with a lot more challenges in certain circumstances. And the Veterans Court admission for the program requires statutory compliance. In other words, some sort of tie with their military service to what they're charged with. So if they have some sort of post-traumatic stress combined with substance abuse that is all related to their service, there has to be a doctor sign off for that person to get into veterans court. Um, there are a lot more complicated cases. I handle most of them personally um, because the veterans often present themselves in a much more fragile state and uh, I think we all appreciate what they've done for us but sometimes the challenges are extremely complicated um, and the probation officers that are in that program are actually all veterans themselves. So there's a lot going on with that program. We have several other programs that that are much less rigid, I guess, because they're less public safety. We do a lot of um, diversions for first offenders, what I call the bonehead offense. You know, a 17 to 21 year old doing something that frankly probably all four of us in this room have done that, that haven't been arrested for. We don't want to brand somebody with a permanent conviction if we think there's a high likelihood that we're not going to see them again with some community service and some other things. So we probably have four separate avenues that on day one you would be exposed to if you were to come work with us, which you are going to come work with us in, in August, right? Yes. Starting excited August. about that. I'm very excited as well. So with the, the different diversion programs, it seems like the DWI one is probably the most prevalent in your office. So for our listeners, can you kind of give an example of what you look for in the cases for people that qualify for that? And when they do qualify for that program, what sort of steps do they go through to have that case dismissed? Yeah, so there's automatic admission for DWIs that are alcohol-based. If you're below 0.15 blood alcohol concentration, there's not a accident in the case or some sort of collision in the case um, and with no criminal history okay that was the original program that started in 2012 I can tell you that's probably only about 10% of the DWIs that are out there okay so there's typically um, higher than a, a blood alcohol concentration of 0.15 there may be a combination of prescription drugs illegal drugs combined with alcohol in the past, that was something that was just automatic denial. Um, accidents were automatic denial. Even single car accidents going into the ditch were, were automatic denial. Um, nowadays, what we have is called a mitigation packet that each defendant can supply to us, which include many criteria. First and foremost, there has to be some sort of acknowledgement of action and guilt in the case. Um, I like a description of, frankly, their life history from the second they were born to the second they were arrested and then what they've done after to kind of make up for any shortcomings that are going on in their lives. Their employment, their family, letters of recommendation, 
other things that you know support some sort of reason why this is an aberration of behavior. Um, we have a standard kind of packet guideline to provide like that. I probably have about 20 in my email box to read for tomorrow before that's how many I'm, I usually get a day. When I said 30 to 50, usually I'm only looking at exceptions to automatic admission. Um, so if you are somehow able to get admittance after everything, however it, you're, you're admitted, um, we do what is called a TRAS assessment, which is a Texas risk assessment tool that probation uses. It's a questionnaire with alcohol or other substance abuse questionnaires. So we can get to the sense of what the underlying, I don't know, substance may be an issue. There may be multiple substances. There may only be one. This may be the first time anyone's ever drank in their life. You know, every case is different. Um, once that assessment is done, a contract is developed with specific criteria based upon whatever the assessment says. Some people have to do intensive outpatient treatment, supportive outpatient treatment. Some people have to do inpatient treatment. Some people have to do no treatment. It just depends on what's going on with them. There's a community service requirement. There's a DWI education course requirement. There's a victim impact panel requirement, which is exactly what it sounds like. People who are surviving family members of victims or victims themselves been affected by DWI, you have to attend that session. Um, you do have to report to a probation officer. You do have to supply, you have to have a monitoring device on you for six months. There's many things that you have to do to successfully complete, which we do probably three to 4,000 completions a year now. So the amount of treatment that the public has received in Harris County for this offense is way more than any county in Texas. Um, I think that leads ultimately to less recidivism with people who have successfully completed the program or have, I don't know, what I call been provided tools so that this doesn't happen again. That's great. Um, so kind of taking a step away from like the crimes themselves, I guess, and moving towards like the prosecutors and the ADAs in your office, um, what is sort of the process for getting an internship? Uh, we'll start there, I guess. Start let me, let me just tell you right now, I want every single 1L Baylor law student to come work at the Harris County DA's I don't even want to interview you. I just want you to come work for us. I know you're on this quarter system. We had a discussion off mic about this. I don't care when you come. Take your pick of when you come. We can find a spot for you to come if that's in the middle of winter quarter because you're taking off or spring quarter or traditional summer quarter it doesn't matter to me and it doesn't matter to me if you want to split five weeks with us five weeks with someone else it doesn't matter you want to mix and match I'm looking for the person like Emma Catlett where this job strikes them as this is what I want to do you're either going to think this is you or it's not. And so it's not really any danger to you as a 1L or a 2L to come to us for five weeks and determine if this is for you or if it's not for you. It'll be a resume builder if it's not for you. Um, it'll be hopefully a long time partnership with you seeking criminal justice in Harris County or if you take that experience and then move back home wherever you're from to be the elected DA in your county 15 years from now. We have tons of people that have done that that have worked for our office. So I wanna be very clear, 
all I need for you to do is to basically reach out to me via email and I will get you the right person to fill out the external website application and I'd be more than happy to take you as a 1L, a 1.5L or whatever these quarter <laughs> systems make you now or 1L and change I heard earlier. It doesn't matter, we can get you in. The, the situation I think will be challenging is we don't offer paid internships. So that's the challenge. How many interns did I have last summer? Uh, we had about 130. Uh, I wanna make it like 200. I really do because the more people that we come, the, the higher quality of people is gonna wanna come work with us eventually. I'm convinced of that. I can vouch that it was a great experience. I was only meant to be there last summer for, I think originally it was six weeks. And then I, I think it was probably about week three or four once I figured out my schedule for after the internship was meant to end. And so I emailed Miss Barkley, the HR representative for everyone listening, um, and asked, any chance I can stay a little bit longer? She said, absolutely, just tell me when you, want, when you need to leave. And I extended for like a week and a half, I think. I've had people come during winter break, you know, from December or whenever finals is until they have to go back to school. If that's something that somebody is interested in, I can make that happen. I, I'd be more than happy to make that happen. There's plenty for me to show you or provide you. Like if I assigned you to Emma's old boss, Michael Hanover is one of the most talented young prosecutors that we have. Uh, two weeks with him, you're going to learn probably more than an entire summer internship anywhere else, probably. I don't know, you, you, you can disagree with me if you want. I definitely do not disagree. It was, it was a great experience. He let me work on projects that I don't think many other prosecutors would. He well, let me work on that. a murder case. Yeah, capital um, murder cases. Yes, yeah, he let me work on a murder case. I got to write a warrant for it, um, do a lot of, I guess, the initial um, looking through the video cameras and the interviews of witnesses and just writing summaries up, and it was jail calls. Very cool. Did you yes, do jail, jail calls. Tell, tell everybody about jail calls. They're interesting. Yeah, you hear some things you don't expect to hear. Um, there were some that Michael told me that yeah, you can just not listen to that once they start talking about those things. Um, you can just skip. So you're talking about personal relationships between the yes. defendant and their, a significant other over yes. the phone that get quite yeah graphic. <laughs> they do. Yeah. yeah. So just press skip quite a lot. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was a great experience. I got to take a plea in court, which was cool, because I went um, after my 2L summer, so I finished two-thirds and I was able to get a bar card. And um, so yeah, I was able to take a plea, which was really cool. Um, you should have come down to me. I would have let you read probable cause all day if you <laughs> wanted to. You just need a few days. You, you would have loved it. Yeah, yeah. Well, next time. You'll get to do that in <laughs> August all day long. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so that's another thing. So. Emma touched on the 2L bar card. Because you're on the quarter system, I don't know how many credits you need to have, 60 or something like that to get your bar card? What is it? A lot of credits. You need two thirds, I think, of your credits. Right, two thirds. You need 126 to graduate. Because you're on the quarter system, right? So you need whatever, two thirds of your credits to get your bar card. If you can do that, I think what Emma just said is that basically you have a law license to practice meaning she could have taken witnesses, she could have done everything that an assistant DA does but for sign assistant district attorney because you haven't become a fully licensed lawyer yet. 
The strange thing is you could try a murder case with an experienced prosecutor, but you can't sign something as a prosecutor. It's a strange situation. But um, when I was a 2L um, bar card holder like you 22 years ago or 23 years ago, I tried a case before I went back to my third year of law school. So I'd already tried a case by myself. Um, and that's one thing that I think is important for everybody here to know is that even with the reduction of trials with COVID um, and some of the other systematic changes such as offering more cases for diversion, which has decreased the number of trials over time, Harris County still trials more cases than any jurisdiction that I've ever seen in the United States. And so as an example for me when I was waiting for my bar results, from the time I took the bar exam till November 2nd when I got my bar results, I tried six cases before I was even fully licensed. And as a misdemeanor prosecutor, I think when I went up to felony, I had over 20 jury trials even before I went to felony, and that was about 16 months. So if you really have a trial bug in your system or you think it may be something that, that you'd be really good at, um, if you're a good prosecutor in Harris County, within two or three years, you'll be prosecuting murder cases. So I don't think anybody else is gonna offer that anywhere else across the United States. So with the um, post-bar fellowship, that's, I know other offices do have something similar, but it is still a pretty unique um, program. Um, is it kind of similar in the way it functions to having a bar card? It is exactly the same because okay. we want you to come in with a bar card because you will have sufficient credits, obviously, because you're taking the bar exam, obviously. So you should have your bar card. If you have your bar card, we will pay you, I think it's close to three quarters of the salary. I, I can't remember exactly what the dollar amount is before you pass. An hour. Okay, so that's 56, <laughs> roughly $56,000, $58,000 a year. But you also get health benefits during that time, and you also get your retirement things paid at that time. When you actually pass the bar, then our offer is, offers $93,000 a year for starting salary. So. Um, that's the highest that I'm aware of other than Lubbock, Texas, but I don't think many people want to go to Lubbock as they do want to go to Harris County. Um, but $93,000 for a starting government salary is, I think, higher than the average for a starting defense attorney now at, at the firms locally in Houston. Um, but I think the benefits, I don't think people really understand that the Texas district and county attorneys have their own protected legislative retirement system um, that is better than any private company that I've ever heard. Um, it's 7% out of my salary every paycheck, but then annually I get 7% on everything that's in. And if I work eight years, I get 225% on everything that's been put in for life. So. Not to mention, if you have student loans, as a most law school graduates do, 10 years of service in a governmental service, your, your loans get wiped clean. That was not an option for me when I came out of law school. That law didn't exist. So if you put in 10 years at the Harris County DA's office, you have, will have probably tried 20 capital murders, had your law school loans wiped out, and set up a retirement system for yourself and your heirs that is substantial. So it's it's a pretty good way to go if you really want to devote your life to the public. 
So Harris, we've talked about how Harris is so much bigger than pretty much any other county in the state. Um, some people really like the idea, I think, of criminal law being a smaller world in some ways. Um, do you still have that feeling in Harris County, even though it is the biggest in the state, that it's still kind of a pretty small world amongst um, criminal attorneys? Yeah, I've practiced both sides of the law. So, you know, I did a stint at the DA's office for five years, then I had worked at a couple of law firms and had my own law firm for about 10 years, um, and then came back to the DA's office. The camaraderie on the criminal side is much more congenial than on the civil side. Um, we deal with so many thousands of cases, and the reputable, well-established prosecutors and defense attorneys all deal with each other on hundreds, if not thousands, of cases over that time period. Um, I like genuinely most of the defense attorneys that I deal with. There's 800 of them that I deal with in Harris County alone. I don't like all of them, I'm not gonna lie, but there are many that I consider to be friends, even though I've been adversarial to, um, even tried cases against. Um, there's some of the nicest people that you know. I know about their families, they know about mine, um, but we can still go to war when we need to in terms of do our jobs professionally. I can't say the same for civil when I practice civil law. Um, it's much more, in my view, snippy. You know, there's nasty emails sent. In the old days, it was nasty faxes sent, or it would be some sort of motion for sanctions with the judge, or, you know, I'm gonna talk about this discovery abuse. You know, you should have sent this yesterday before five, and you sent it the next morning. We don't do a lot of those snippy little things on the criminal side. We just, I think, have more things to do, frankly, um, that, and it's not something to get particularly irritable about, you know, but that's where I see the difference, is even though it's a large county, you're going to run into the same people over and over and over and over again. Um, and I enjoy that aspect. That's nice. So for people that aren't from Texas, like you and I, um, life in Houston, what is life in Houston like? How do you, you, how do most people like live as the attorneys? Do they live in apartments, do they live in houses? Do they live in Houston, do they live out of Houston? I think it depends on usually um, the age of the person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, um, and maybe what they have going on in their life. When I moved to Houston in 2001, I had just gotten married. We didn't have any children. And um, the condition that my wife told me was, I get to pick where we're going to live if I have to move to Texas. This is a Colorado girl. She's from Colorado Springs. I'm from California. The only way I could get her to come to Texas was to allow her to pick where we lived. And uh, she decided on the Woodlands. And we live just outside the Woodlands now. Um, so even as a younger person at the time, we bought a house. I was able to actually buy a house on $42,000 a year as a salary at the time when I started. Um, I don't know if you could do that now, but I think on $93,000, you might be able to buy a house, but you'd have to be further out, maybe in the suburbs to do it in, in Houston. Um, most of my, let's just say, non-married, single prosecutors live closer to town. There are, are so many options, um, you know, really close inside the loop that they just find too, I think, convenient um, 
not only for work purposes, but also their nightlife purposes or what else that they're doing. A lot of people ride scooters to work, you know, some people ride the train to work that I, I work with. Um, I think it just depends. So like if you were wanting to start a family or something, you could definitely do that, but you're gonna have to commute probably from a, a further away part of town. For me, Houston, and I've lived in Southern California, I've lived in Seattle, I've lived in New York, I've lived all over, I've lived in New Orleans, I've lived in, in Minneapolis. Houston, like any other city, has its good points and its bad points. I think its cost of living is getting higher, but it's still more affordable than other cities. Um, I think the food is better than any place in the world. I really do. Any place that I've lived, for sure. Um, it's more cost-effective, number one, food-wise, and there's more variety. Um, the population is much more dynamic than I think other parts of Texas, meaning there's a much greater influx of not only, um, let's say, less than documented people, but also professions. It's just much more of a balanced professional. It's not just oil-based anymore. It's the medical industry, you can name any industry that you're talking about, you have professionals coming in from around the world. Um, which to me is my, my experience is different having lived in Austin and having been to Dallas many times. It's just different feel from Austin, San Antonio and Dallas. I like the vibrancy of that community. Um, I think it's much more diverse than other parts of Texas. I think it's newer. I think there's construction ongoing forever in Houston. I don't see the economy ever going down. If any of you have lived in another part of the country where you've seen economic growth slow or decay, it can be really problematic in your community. I've never seen that in Houston in the 22 years that I've been there. It just continues to expand, expand, expand. I don't think that's ever gonna stop. I just think that's the Houston way. So as someone who's not from there, like I think many of your Baylor, um, you know, colleagues and your students. What I've seen with the resumes from Baylor is that they're either Baylor Baylor, or it's someplace very interesting for undergrad, and then Baylor. And that someplace interesting is usually not a Texas school. Usually not. So, um, I think a five week internship to see what Houston is like, why not give it a go? I mean, Emma, I think you're from, you live what, I want to say Kingwood or something, where were you? Katie. Katie, okay. But you know how different and diverse Houston and Harris County is. I mean, the north side is different than Katie. Um, inside the loop is different than other parts of town. Yeah, there's, it's crazy. Houston is like several cities inside of one city. Um, we're actually not all the way in Katy. It's just easier to say that because we're just really far west Houston. Okay. Um, so, but I mean, even where we are, it's different from Katy. And then there's the Woodlands, and then you know Sugarland, or if you want to be more in town in Montrose or something like that, you can definitely pick the lifestyle that you want and find a place that'll fit it in Houston. Where did you stay with your family again when you went I back? Did. Okay. Yeah. Did you speak to other interns while they were there? Um, yeah, a few. Where were they staying? So, um, one of my friends, he actually goes to Baylor as well, and he was interning, um, was renting a room somewhere in the Montrose area. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe more museum district. Though. Right. 
and he liked it. Uh, he was said he was taking the bus for a while and then decided to just start driving. Um, and then, yeah, actually, that he was the only person that I talked to because another one of my friends who was interning stayed with me. So we had the same drive, same commute. <laughs> I just recommend trying it because, you know, I never knew anything about Austin my 1L summer. I sublet a room for whatever, eight weeks. And, you know, was it fabulous? The answer is no. You know, was it interesting? Did I learn a lot? Absolutely, you know, and you see as much of a city as you want when you go live there. You either stay in your room or you go out. I, I just recommend getting in and about Houston in a safe way, obviously. Um, but she's talking about the museum district, you know, there's a lot going on there, you know. I mean, as a young person, I could think of a million things if I didn't have a limited budget that I could go do in that area. You know what I mean? Um, and what's five weeks? I think it's over in the, the snap of a finger, you know, in the summer. So that's my recommendation. Everybody come. We'll accept you. Well, um, I think as we kind of wrap up here, do you have any last sort of things that we didn't cover yet that you wanted to cover while we're talking about this? or? Um, yeah, and I, I'm interested in Emma's thoughts on this. I think there's a misconception with, what the life of a prosecutor is like and and what our roles and responsibilities are. Um, I can tell you that everything that we do at our office, each employee, each assistant district attorney in particular, everything we do matters. So Emma got to work on a capital murder case or cases this summer where there are surviving family members associated with that case. It matters what you do, the decisions that you make, your preparation in the, in the cases that you take the trial. It matters. It also matters from a context of me giving some per person a second opportunity or an opportunity to earn a dismissal. It can be hugely beneficial to the community if somebody earns a dismissal, expunges the record, and then who knows where their economic and their family situation goes from there. It's not something that you can readily measure um, in terms of impact on criminal justice. I, I take equal satisfaction for somebody that deserves the maximum term of prison or jail or whatever as I do a dismissal if it's the right decision. So I think there's been some misunderstanding um, I'll just say, I don't know what's being taught in most law schools today, but it's not a typically a good light shined on prosecutors. Um, not to say that there are, there are prosecutors that their actions are well-deserved for them to be critical of, but I can assure you at the Harris County District Attorney's Office, um, I make decisions on a day-to-day -day basis based upon the evidence and based upon what's best and oftentimes, at the lower level, even if I can make the case, I give people opportunities that traditionally have not been given to them, which is rewarding. Um, just as a surviving family member giving you a hug after you try a case and somebody is sentenced to an appropriate amount of prison for killing somebody, um, there's no better feeling than to be able to, to make a difference in what you do every day. Is the money glamorous? The answer is no. Um, but what do you want to do with your life? If you want 
to be a trial attorney and take your experience at the district attorney's office and go in-house counsel or go be a trial attorney in a civil firm, you will be in a much better position if you've had DA experience than if you wouldn't. I've tried just about every type of civil lawsuit in my time in between, and criminal lawyers are 50 times better at trying cases than civil lawyers. They just are. You have to think on your feet. We don't have a deposition process. You don't get to think through when a, a witness lies or tells 80% of the truth on the stand. You have to react and be able to balance that on your feet. Um, I think Emma would probably tell you maybe one of the most exciting things about coming to work every day is that you don't know what you're going to encounter. And whatever you planned on you thought you were going to encounter is not how it turned out by the time noon came around. Um, and you'll have to react to that. It's not boring. It's not easy either, which is why I want Baylor Bears to come work there because there are other law schools, frankly, that aren't as tough as you guys and can't handle it. It's just a fact. Um, I need somebody who wants to work 68 to 80 hours a week for less salary than they could get in the civil world and enjoy it. That's what I'm looking for. Um, with that said, please come and send me an email. That's what I should say. <laughs> and we'll be sure to link your email in the, yes. the bio and everything so that everybody has easy access. And um, I can definitely vouch there was something new every day. Sometimes Michael would ask if I wanted to go to Docket or if I wanted to stay and do rip calls or something. And I was like, I'll go to Docket if I can go to Docket because there's always something new and interesting going on. Mm -hmm. so. um, there was one other thing that I remembered um, that I was just wondering if you could expand on because I hadn't seen it in any other offices. Um, I know some of the prosecutors would kind of do overtime, if that's the correct term. Yeah, we had, yeah. We had several overtime programs usually going at, at one time, which means you'll get paid time and a half um, what your hourly rate is. You were assigned an hourly rate based upon your experience. <coughs> Excuse me, so we, I intake, which is our 24-hour charging apparatus and I haven't explained what that is but there are DAs on call every second of every day in Harris County talking to police officers about charges that are happening and crimes in the field. Um, we are going back to a time and a half system for off shifts for people of that nature. We've also had several government approved triage programs which is what they've been called to address some of the backlog issues. So. Um, there was a felony triage program, a misdemeanor triage program, but there's also been triage programs related to other, um, let's just say, discovery materials that we needed to get those materials in faster, such as 911 calls. Um, so we've had overtime ability not only for assistant district attorneys, they're the primary ones, but also the staff members as well. So um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you know you can double your salary overnight but I can tell you to have the ability to pick up extra shifts or work overtime is available in Harris County. Um, I just don't do it mu that much because I have three teenagers now and I, I don't have the energy to work an eight hour shift from midnight to eight in the morning, work all day and then deal with my teenagers at night, you know, the next day, it's just not, not me. But several of people have made this part of their, I don't know, normal activity to augment their their income. Some people have children that are in private school. Some people 
and there may be some health issue in the family. There is some, some way to gain additional money um, through service, which isn't always the case when you work in a government agency. That's interesting. I've just never seen that before. Yeah, that's a pretty cool program. Okay, well, thank you to all of our listeners for uh, tuning in today, and thank you, Mr. Beadle, for coming up to uh, Waco to come visit with us today. And uh, we'll catch you all next time. Bye-bye.